to Matthew chapter 4. I announced a couple of weeks ago that we were going to be getting into the Sermon on the Mount, and we are going to get into the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, but I just felt like we needed a little bit of context to help us because the Sermon on the Mount uh, is a challenging way to live. I believe it's the way that Christians are called to live. The kingdom of God is already, but not yet. Very good. So the kingdom is already present. The kingdom's already here, and so that's a kingdom way to live, but it's a, it's a challenge, right? It's a challenge to turn the other cheek when somebody insults you. It's a challenge. You know, Jesus says, give to those who ask. You know, with no qualifications. It's like, well, what if they're going to misuse the gift? Or It's like, man, as Christians, we need to wrestle through that. But that, that's a challenge from Jesus. You know, the, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. How many of us are just so happy to take the humble position all the time? You know, <laughs> blessed are those who mourn. Oh, man, I'm, I'm so happy that my life is filled with trouble. <laughs> so the Sermon on the Mount is very challenging. And so the backdrop stories of chapter 3 and chapter 4 are massively foundational and helpful for us. And so, you know, last week we saw, or I guess it was two weeks ago, uh, our mission, uh, the mission partner, Chris Bruno, was with us. Uh, but, so two weeks ago, uh, we looked at Jesus' baptism and how he was crowned or coronated as king. And because we're baptized into him, we're now in Christ you know, the fact that the heavens were open to him, the Holy Spirit was poured upon him, and he was declared to be God's Son in whom the Father was well pleased. If we're in him, then maybe we do have a shot at living out the kingdom way because the king is with us. Does that make sense? And this evening, what we're going to look at is this confrontation. Uh, the title of the sermon, these guys can throw it up there, is The Conquering King. So two weeks ago, the coronated king. This is the conquering king. We're going to see that Jesus conquers Satan in the wilderness. And again, because we're baptized into him and we're connected to him, his victory, his overcoming is the means by which we can overcome. And so the selfishness and the pride and the, the worldliness, the over-concern about things of this life, even you know the Sermon on the Mount there and the Jesus Storybook Bible, what are we going to wear? Or what are we going to eat? That was great, those little thought bubbles. Anyway, our pride, our selfishness, and over-concern with this world you know, is going to be overcome by the baptized and coronated king and the conquering king, and that's going to be now the foundation that we're going to be able to live out the Sermon on the Mount together so that we might be a city set on a hill, so that the light and the love of Jesus, as Robin prayed for us, might actually emanate from us uh, as a congregation. Amen? Does that make sense? That's where we're going. That's why... We're doing what we're doing. So let me pray uh, briefly here, and we'll read the passage. Father, uh, we do long to see Christ, that we would be wise. We do delight this evening to meditate in your word, and I just pray that the Holy Spirit would work mightily and do things that we don't even expect or anticipate. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1, down to verse 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. <laughs> the Bible's full of understatements. Genesis 1 says, and he made the stars. <laughs> oh, the billions of them? All, okay, yeah. 
And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Then command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. I've seen this story so many times, and I'm still just so, I mean, fascinated is not the right word, but it is so interesting to me that the, Satan quotes the Bible to Jesus. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And then the devil left him and behold, angels came. And they were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. So basically, I want to look at this uh, passage in two ways. The first way, I want to see uh, how Jesus conquers evil, or the evil one. You'll see on the slide there. Okay, a lot of times when we read this passage, we want to jump to the second part of the sermon, which is how do we deal with temptation? There's lots of things that we can learn about how we deal with temptation. Yes, okay, that's, that is a part of this. But the first thing that we really need to see loud and clear is that in this wilderness confrontation, Jesus conquers the evil one, okay? And that's going to be the foundation and the confidence that we can have that in our lives as well, that we can overcome uh, the evil that we face in our hearts and in our world. So first, let's look at the context of what's going on here. So Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, um, you can go to the next slide there, guys. This is the, the context of Jesus' conquering. You know, he was just baptized. The heavens were opened. The Holy Spirit, the, the new creation spirit. You know, John said that I baptize you with water, but this one who's coming after me is mightier. He's more powerful than me because the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that wrought the creation, is this resting on Jesus now. And Jesus, in a sense, commands the spirit. He's got this unbelievable power Jesus has because of the gift of the Spirit. And he's declared to be God's son, God's chosen king. And so there's this amazing moment of Jesus's baptism. And then, you know, what did you expect for him to be and do? And he just starts walking deeper into the wilderness. It's like you would just march on Jerusalem right now. Give him some Holy Spirit power and fix this. No. Walks into the wilderness, led by the Spirit out there, and led to fast for 40 days and 40 nights by the Holy Spirit. The context here of, of what this confrontation is going to be is out in the wilderness. We certainly should be having overtones of Israel. After Israel was baptized through the Red Sea, that's not me making that up, by the way. That's 1 Corinthians 10. Paul says that Israel was baptized through the Red Sea. 
Where did they go next? They went into the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus was baptized into the Jordan River, and now he's going to be tested for 40 days. And so what Israel was supposed to be and do, and they failed, of course, in the wilderness because they did not believe the promises of God. Jesus is coming as the true Israel to be the light to the nations, and where Israel failed, Jesus is going to succeed. Now, we don't have time to get into this. If we were going all the way through, Matthew, we could jump to the end. You know, there's another time when Satan comes one more time to tempt Jesus. And you know where that is, right? That's right before the cross. It's called the hour of the power of darkness. That's, again, when Satan returned and all the forces of hell were tempting Jesus to avoid the cross. And this time he's not in the wilderness where Israel was tempted. He's in a garden where who was tempted? Where Adam was tempted. And in the same way that Israel was tempted in the wilderness, they failed. Jesus is now in the garden like a second Adam. And where Adam failed, he doesn't reach out and grab the fruit. Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. And he whips the devil there too. By the time he's done that, getting to the cross is done. The victory is won in the wilderness in the garden. And the cross is, in a sense, just the, the outworking of it. So here's Jesus. He's fulfilling what Israel's supposed to be doing. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And specifically, the spirits led him in the wilderness to do this. You know, I always think that the Holy Spirit is leading me into like, you know, you guys know me. I'm not like a health and wealth prosperity preacher. At least I don't like to think of myself. But I always think if it worked out good, that was the Spirit. Does the Spirit ever lead me into the wilderness? Yes, he does. Because he led our Lord into the wilderness and what's, what I love about this, and you guys, do, a lot of you guys are doing that reading strategy, which I love and heard really good reports about, this is a little PM. You know, I is for identity, PM is for purpose and mission, and R is for response. I encourage you guys to do that. Listen, some of you are looking at me like, yeah, we're not doing that. Some of my own kids aren't doing that either, so don't worry about it. <laughs> but this is Jesus specifically went into the wilderness to confront evil. Okay? The Spirit was leading him out there, and you know, we've got to be very careful here because God doesn't tempt us for evil purposes. He may test us, or you could use the word test or tempt, it really doesn't matter that much. God means good, Satan will mean evil for it. And that's what's happening here. The Spirit is leading him out specifically to confront the evil one so that he can conquer them, so that then we can have hope and confidence and freedom. Amen? So that's the context of what's happening here with this temptation. So he's out there, obviously he's hungry, and now the tempter comes, and so now we want to look at these three episodes. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these loaves to become bread. Has ever, I mean, I'm, I'm sure this is a question for a lot of you. Like, would it have been a sin to turn those into bread? That's not like, a, that's not like you know, the 11th commandment or something, you know? It's not like in the Old Testament, it's like, well, if you happen to have messianic power and the power of the Holy Spirit resting upon you, then don't ever turn stones into bread. <laughs> it's not in there. It's not a direct command that Jesus would be disobeying here. So what's going on here? And this, this actually would, this teaches us a little bit, of course, that there's always two things, Jesus winning and there's our connection as well. Temptation is not just about the commands or not. Temptation, and the real, you know, I don't want to say the real issue, but the significant deep issue is relationship. How does he start? If you're the son of God, 
if you're the son of God. Now, what had happened just, just at his baptism? What had God opened up the heavens and said? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And now Jesus has been fasting under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And the temptation is to think, maybe God forgot about me out here in the wilderness. And he's not really well pleased with me. Why is he putting me through this? And so Satan comes at a, a weakness spot. And I do say weakness. I put it in quotes, but it really is true weakness. Because Jesus is being tempted in his true humanity. Jesus is fully human. And so he's actually really hungry. He's not relying upon his deity to kind of kick in and say, well, I'm not hungry because, oh, by the way, I'm God. No, he's hungry. And Satan comes at a moment of weakness, 40 days, 40 nights fasting, and he, he questions or he, call, he wants Jesus to doubt the Father's love and care for him. That's really what's going on. <laughs> and by the way, did Jesus have the power to turn stones into bread? Absolutely he did. I mean, just keep reading and met, and you guys are probably at that. Feeding of the 5,000, he just started dishing it. <laughs> Jesus is actually going to do pretty much exactly what Satan tempted him to do here later. But he's not going to do it for himself. He's going to do it for others. And so this is really the, the, the crux of this temptation. I want you to doubt the goodness of God in your life. I want you to doubt his fatherly love and care for you. And I want you to use the resources and power that he's given you. Since he doesn't really care about you, do it for yourself. That's the temptation. And so, Jesus responds to that by saying, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out. And that word comes out comes from, uh, it's, it's really this idea of pouring forth. Jesus responds by saying, my life sustenance is not solely based upon what I eat. There's another power in the world that sustains. It's the same power that brought the world into existence. What brought the world into existence? The word of God, let there be light, and there was God breathed into man, and he became a living soul. So it's not, yes, we live by bread. It's kind of like this the overlapping realities. Yes, we live by bread and water and health and those things, but that's not the only thing that's keeping you alive. The very word and revelation of God is what sustains and so Jesus reminds Satan of that and says, I don't need to doubt my father's love. I don't need to use the resources and power he's given me for myself. I trust that God will supply what I need for my life. And he resists the devil. Number two, the second episode. So now the devil takes him a little higher. Okay, he's in the wilderness among the rocks, and now he's going to take him up. To the temple. So I don't know how this happened. I don't know if it was suggestive, you know, in his mind or if they actually transported there or how any of that necessarily happened. But whether figurative or literal, Jesus and the devil now are at the pinnacle of the temple in the holy city. And he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, 
He will command his angels over you, and their hands will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. If the first temptation was a temptation about the Father's provision, this temptation is about the Father's protection. Is, is your Father really going to protect you? I mean, again, this is all about sonship and, and identity and belonging. You are my son at the baptism. Well, if you're the son. Well, if you're the son. And what do fathers do? They provide and they protect. And Satan is trying to undermine the father and the son's relationship. You see the same thing in the Garden of Eden. He's doing the same thing. That God is holding out on you. If you, he knows that if you would eat this, then you would get this, this, and this. And he's trying to undermine the beauty of love and trust between the father and the son. And the devil says, okay, you want to play the Bible game? I'll play the Bible game. And he quotes Psalm 91. <laughs> and what I read this week, I didn't even realize, is that the devil has a Christ-centered interpretation of Psalm 91. It blew my mind. I'm like... He was better at interpreting Psalm 91 than I was for about 35 years of my life. He knows that Psalm 31 is about the coming Messiah and how God the Father is going to protect the coming Messiah. And so in a sense, Satan's interpretation of the Bible is mostly correct. Jesus doesn't say, you interpreted it wrong. It's interesting. He says, really, the real issue with Satan is your application is wrong. You don't recognize the bigger story. And so Jesus quotes again. For, and by the way, all of these quotes from Jesus are from Deuteronomy 6 through 8. He quotes them and says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So yes, the psalmist says that God is going to protect his anointed one. But it's not up to, the, or up to the Messiah to say when and where and how that's going to happen. I trust my Father that he will protect me when and where and how he says. And I don't jump off cliffs or buildings to put him to the test because I don't trust that he loves me. And so, again, Jesus you know, quotes. And so a lot of times I've, I've heard this, you know, you got to, and this is true, you know, you got to hide God's word in your heart so that I might not sin against thee. But it's like, <laughs> the devil like, had that Psalm 91, quote-unquote, hidden in his heart. He was ready to use it right away. <laughs> so here's, here's a, a piece of pastoral encouragement, if I could say it this way. A tip. You guys know how I love tips. Jesus knew what story he was in. It's not just that he had a Bible verse in his back pocket that he could whip out. Although that might be helpful in certain moments. Jesus knew the entire story. And we're going to see that again in the third temptation specifically. Jesus was aware of the story of Israel and how they were tempted and how they failed and how they should have trusted the promises and where the story was supposed to be going. So Jesus knew that, you know, that Israel put the Lord their God to the test. He was well acquainted with that story, and that led to uh, a fracture between Israel and God, and then they would never enter God's rest. That's what he's quoting there. It's actually from Exodus chapter 17, and if you guys were around when I went on my sabbatical, this was the main thing that the Lord impressed upon my heart. At the end of Exodus 17, where they put the Lord their God to the test, 
the, the question that they asked the Lord is, is the Lord among us or not? So after their, you know, dramatic exodus, walking through the Red Sea, the Egyptians perishing in the sea, they get in the wilderness, they're given manna and then water from a rock, and they say, well, is God among us or not? It's their unbelief. And so <laughs> Jesus is saying, no, I put my faith in God. He just opened the heavens and declared me to be his son whom he loves, and so I'm going to believe that. I'm just going to simply trust what God has said about me, remembering the story, finding my place in the story, and not fall into unbelief. And so you can see again here, the issue of temptation is about faith. It's about believing the goodness of God. It's about believing what God says about us. It's about embracing by faith the story that he's called us to live into. Third episode. He's going to go higher. Wilderness rocks, temple. It takes him to a very high mountain. One of the commentators said, the devil's always trying to do that to you. He's always trying to get you higher and higher and higher. Whereas when you look at Jesus, he's trying to get lower and lower and lower. He goes down into the wilderness. He went down into the waters. The, even from just a story standpoint, it looks like Jesus is going down when the devil wants to take him up. So he takes him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Again, I don't exactly know how that was. Some amazing PowerPoint presentation. Who knows? Did Satan have the authority to kind of offer these kingdoms to Jesus? That's kind of like a yes and no answer. So I know some of those questions are out there. All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. This is the first one, the first temptation, the first episode, that's a, a direct violation. Fall down and worship me is against one of the Ten Commandments, right? That's, you know, that's violating number one and number two together. So here now, it's like the devil's getting desperate and bold. The first two really subtle ones about undermining faith and confidence didn't work, and so now he's going for it. Just as fall down and worship me. And again, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. The whole story idea. Jesus knew that the Father was going to give him all the kingdoms. Psalm 2 says that, ask of me, I'll give you the nations as my inheritance. But before, as we sang tonight, before the crown comes the cross. Jesus trusted the Father's plan. And so, you know, this is just really easy to remember, these three temptations. Jesus trusted the Father's provision. He's trusting the Father's protection. And now here he's trusting the Father's plan. And so he conquers the devil. And you see the authority of Jesus now, too. Because he's resisted the devil on all of these fronts, he has of authority that God intended for Adam to have and the kind of authority that he intended for Israel to have and he literally says be gone and Satan runs and hides that's where James 5 gets this idea of resist the devil and he will flee from you why because Jesus in the wilderness and in the garden resisted the devil and commanded him to flee and he went running with his tail between his legs and so we see you know we saw the context of this we saw the episodes of this so what are the results now of this temptation what happened now because Jesus did this well number one I just think this is so great the first two things that the devil said he could get and get his way 
Jesus ended up getting. <laughs> so the, the second temptation was throw yourself off and the angels will show up and they'll serve you. <laughs> he conquers Satan and who shows up? The angels. And what do they do? They serve him. And the implication is food. <laughs> they give him bread. You, hey, do this yourself. You, you, your father's not going to be good to you. I trust my father. Be gone. Angels show up. Here's some food. You know when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you? We don't, uh, I'm slipping into part two of the sermon, we don't believe that God's going to provide. I want this and I want it now. But I'm going to have to be stingy and not generous over here if I get it. Well, I don't know if God's going to protect me in this situation. And what if I step out in faith and I do this ministry or I go to serve that or I start this conversation? What's going to happen? And, and we're very afraid. A lot of self-preservation. And it keeps us from living out the kingdom and being bold and courageous. Anyway. And what's also interesting is number the third episode, <laughs> he promised to get all the kingdoms now Jesus has gone through the cross. He's ascended to the Father's right hand. And Jesus says at the end of Matthew's gospel, all power and authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. <laughs> he got them all. And so as he, you know, we think, you know, God's holding out on us or he's not going to bless us or this isn't going to happen. And, and so we give in to the temptations. And Jesus' example is saying, no. If you trust the goodness of the Father, he will provide. He will protect and he will give you the kingdom. Jesus' storybook Bible just quoted it. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You know, that's what, you know that that's what God the Father's planning to do for you, Trinity. Believe it. His plan for you is to give you the kingdom. And Satan wants to come in and try to undermine and make you disbelieve that. So, one of the results is that all the things that Satan offered as a counterfeit, God ended up giving to Jesus anyway. The second thing and major thing that happened now is that Jesus has been called God's king, and now he's taken on the enemy, that ancient foe. Which, by the way, can I give you a little rabbit trail right here? Yes, I do believe in the devil. I'm a 21st century believer in science. I have iPhones and all kinds of stuff like that, and I still believe in the devil. Okay? Want to know why I believe in the devil? I'll give you two quick reasons why I believe in the devil. Number one, I believe in the devil. If you say you believe in God, it's not a big stretch to say you believe in the devil. Okay? If I believe in an all-powerful supreme being who's spirit, then it's not crazy for me to think that I would believe. It would be crazy if you were uh, a naturalist and believed in the devil. Now, that's crazy. <laughs> but if you believe in God, of course it makes sense to believe in the devil. Secondly, the re one of the reasons I believe in the devil, I actually have three reasons. Secondly, is because of the evil that I see in the world. You know, people talk about, like, why do human beings do this to other human beings? Why can't we just all get along? I, I buy into that. I think that's true. Like, I think there is a supernatural personal evil that divides countries and causes abuse and all kinds. I think there is something besides us human beings here that's animating the evil, and I see it all around me. I can't describe things like, you know, Holocaust, or, you know, we talk about sanctity of life, and uh, the numbers of, of children that have lost their lives, all these evils that are of our day, there's got to be something more than just human beings going on here. And so for me, it's not crazy to believe in a devil. Look at all the evil you see around you. And the third reason I believe in the devil is because the Bible says so. <laughs> okay. So. 
So, I said one of the results of this confrontation in the wilderness, we, you know, we see that Jesus ended up getting all the things that Satan had offered. The second thing that, that's really clear that happens here is that Jesus' authority as God's chosen king is established. And now after he whips the devil in the wilderness, he just goes into uh, Israel and Palestine, and he just starts casting demons out right and left. Be gone. Be gone. Be gone. Be gone. You see the, his power over evil because he just conquered the strong man. It's like he took down Goliath. Now all the rest of these bums, they're easy. And the people in Israel are like, wow, no one's ever had that kind of power. Yeah, because no one's ever gone out to the wilderness and whipped the devils behind. Okay? So, you see Jesus established as king. You see two things as you read through the Gospels. You see his power over evil. You also see his power over the physical world, all of those miracles. Where does that get connected to? That's connected to Jesus' baptism. So here's Jesus endowed by the power of the Holy Spirit and conqueror of Satan set loose on Israel. Come on. That's your king. That's the one we worship. We can do the Sermon on the Mount, right? I love that, obviously, as you can tell. And so you see in Matthew 4, verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king is coming. Get ready. So now, that's all under how Jesus conquers the foe. The second part of the sermon is the application for us, and I've been sprinkling it in and out throughout here. But I just want to remind you that Trinity, if you have your faith in Jesus, and we saw this a few weeks ago, in baptism, you are connected to him. And so we saw five young people get baptized up here. And what's happening at baptism is that you are being immersed into Christ. And the same uh, spirit that dwelled on him, he now gives to you the same statement where the father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's what God says of you. That's what baptism is announcing. I love you. You don't need to doubt my love that I'm going to provide and that I'm going to protect and that I do have a good plan for you. Again, that doesn't mean there's no suffering. Look at his son. Know the story that you're in. If this is how God treated his one and only son, then we know we're going to be treated the same. And so it's not without suffering and trials and temptation, but we, you know, in Jesus, we can rise up above them. We can endure through them. And when, because we do, fall into temptation in our gardens and in our wildernesses and our homes and our kitchens and our bedrooms and our workplaces we do fall into that but again have no fear because Jesus conquered the devil for all of us like David and Goliath because he conquered the devil we can have our sins forgiven and we can get back up and move forward again the Proverbs say a righteous man falls seven times that is like that's the Hebrew way of saying you fell flat on your face that's a bad fall that's a complete fall and he rises up again. Why? Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And you receive the Holy Spirit in baptism. You've been baptized into Jesus Christ, Trinity. And so believe it. 
Everything that God says about his son, he's saying about you. I mean, when God says, I'm going to give you the nations as your inheritance, Romans 8 says that in Christ, you're a co-heir with him. What? You know, you talk about how he's going to provide and protect for you. You know, it was the, it was the Jesus Storybook Bible. You know, fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't you know that your, your father already knows what you need, what you need to wear and what you need to eat? He's going to take care of you. Don't fear him who can kill the body. Fear him who can kill the body and cast the soul into hell. You don't, you don't need to fear. Even death itself you don't need to fear because Jesus has conquered death. And so Trinity Church, I, I want us to rise up into our union with Christ and believe on him. And take our standing that we are sons and daughters of the king and, and he is well pleased with us because of Jesus Christ. So good. And then lastly, just a couple of encouragements about your day-to-day -day temptations. Number one, I, I would encourage you, you're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted to doubt the Lord in, in nuanced ways and in some direct ways. I, I almost was going to say it tonight, for those of you who are being tempted, and I was like, What? It'll be a foolish thing for a preacher to say. It'd be very dumb. <laughs> You're all being tempted. <laughs> I'm being tempted day in, day out. And the primary thing that the devil wants to do is dislodge your loyalty and your confidence that God loves you and that he's good for you. Isn't it hard to believe God loves you? I mean, it's hard for me. Paul says, and I quote this verse all the time, Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, union with Christ, all over that. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. That's the issue with all these temptations. In the one who loved me and gave himself for me. You don't need some flashy experience to be reminded of God's love. You literally just need faith in the reality of your baptism and your union with Christ. Okay? So, number one, know this. That the devil's schemes, he's walking around like a roaring lion, and what he's trying to do is to dislodge your unity, your love, and your affection to Jesus. And he will use prosperity to distract you, or he will use pain to discourage you. That's what he's trying to do. Secondly, you don't need superhuman strength. You know, uh, you don't have to have like all of Deuteronomy 6 through 8 memorized, but you do need to be in the Word. You do need to know the story. You do need, as we sang, to delight in the law of God day and night. Because Jesus is one of his primary means of grace here in defeating Satan. Again, he didn't tap into his divine side. He just trusted the clear story of the Bible. And what's the story of the Bible? Jesus is the Son of God. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again. He ascended to the Father's right hand. He's poured the Spirit out upon us. He's coming again to judge the living and the dead and make all things new. That's the story you're in. Believe it. Receive it. Embrace it. Study it. I'm so glad so many of you, I've heard an amazing response about this reading in the Gospels. I'm fired up about it. Keep it up. Okay? So, press into the means of grace, which is this Word of God, and then prayer. What does Jesus teach us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount? You know, our Father out in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Hmm, that sounds familiar like the wilderness. 
And lead us not, or forgive us our sins, we forgive those who sin against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. That doesn't mean that you're not going to face temptation. It's just don't go into it. So Jesus might lead you by the Spirit right up to that temptation. Because in that moment, he wants to show that he's strong. And you beat that, you move forward. Or he leads you up to it, and you enter in. Ugh, you're mad. You're disappointed, you're frustrated, and you're discouraged. And the Spirit comes to remind you that you're still a child of God, that all your sins are forgiven, and you get up again, you move forward. And so prayer, you pray, you pray for yourself, you pray for your children, you pray for your brothers and sisters in this church, your husbands and your wives and your friends. That, okay, Lord, lead us, let, let's take on the forces of darkness, but help us never to enter in. So the word of God and prayer are our means. And it just might take a long time. You say, I've been battling temptation for years, I've been falling, it's okay, oh, it's okay. We're going to walk with you as a church, get a brother or sister, and we're going to keep walking with you until God gives a breakthrough. <laughs> I heard this by another preacher, so it's not mine, but uh, there's this woodpecker. Okay? <laughs> it was great. I don't have heart. I've never used these things, so I just happen to have this one. This woodpecker is at a tree. And he's just pecking away. And that's how you feel with your attempt. I'm struggling. I fell again. And you're struggling, you're struggling, you're struggling. And the storm rolls in. And all of a sudden, thunder and boom, lightning comes and splits the tree down. And the woodpecker goes, oh yeah, that was me. <laughs> That's a lot of Christian life. You keep going. You keep trusting. You keep getting up. And then one day, whether it's in this life, the Holy Spirit comes and there is a breakthrough. Or you keep going, and on the final day, Jesus comes and you break through. But either way, the breakthrough is coming, so keep going. Does that make sense? So hang in there, brothers and sisters. Our God is good. Our God is gracious. And he will meet us in our time of need. I've asked uh, Dan Farron if he would come and lead us in a prayer that the Lord would help us not enter temptation. Thanks, Dan, for coming to pray.